So let me start this morning with a question, okay? And, and you can respond to the question by a show of hands, okay? Can you put that first question up on the screen for us? And here's the question. Have you ever been in a quandary? Have you ever been in a quandary? Could you give me a, a black background on that? So I want, I want you to see that really good. So have you ever been black? There you go. Have you ever been in a quandary? All right, let me show your hands. Ever been? In, all right, wait a minute. Put your hands down. Before, before, you, before you really answer that question, okay, I just want to tell you that a quandary is not a new SUV from Honda. <laughs> Although it sounds like it could be, right? I mean, I can, I can, just, I can just imagine the commercial, right, for the new quandary. It's the, it's, it's the rough-riding SUV that you've only dreamed of now available at your Honda dealer, you know? Doesn't it sound like a, an SUV, right? Uh, it's not an SUV, okay? It could be, but it sounds like it, but, but it's not. But I'll tell you what it is. Here's the definition of a quandary. It is a state of perplexity or uncertainty over what to do in a difficult situation. That's the definition. It's a state of perplexity of uncertainty over what to do in a difficult situation. Here are some of the synonyms for for a quandary, a predicament, a plight, a difficult situation, trouble, confusion, dilemma. Doesn't sound good, right? I know I've been in quite a few quandaries in my lifetime, and I don't like where it goes. I don't like where it's taking you, you know. Uh, Let me give you the unofficial definition of what a quandary is, okay? Unofficial definition is is when you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off, and, and instead of getting up out of bed, you pull the covers over your head. And you, you, you just don't want to get up to face, to face the trouble and to face the uncertainty of the day, you know? And, and, and that's, what, that's, the de- that's the unofficial definition of a quandary. And, and that's when your, your, your sweet spouse says to you, honey, babe, I know you're under the covers, you got to get up. And you say, no. And she lovingly is trying to encourage you, honey, babe, it's, t- it's time to get up. Remember the, the clock. We, we, we lost an hour this morning. It's, it's time to get up. You're expected to preach today. That's what she said to me. No, I was just kidding. You know, but no, but that, that's the definition of being in a quandary is when, is when you don't want to face the uncertainty of the day and you pull the covers up over your head, right? No, seriously, it is, it is a question for us, how do we handle the state of uncertainty when life drives us where we don't want to go, right? Uh, when you've got to navigate safely behind the wheel of a quandary, and the quandary doesn't come with GPS, you know, you don't know what to do, right? Here's, here's a couple of different responses. Here's, here's one response. One response where you find yourself in a quandary is a blown, is a blown out uh, panic attack. You know, it's, it's, when, it's when your heart begins racing. You, you break out in a cold sweat. I hate cold sweats, you know. You break out in a cold sweat and you get that jittery, nervous feeling and, and uh, you know, you just feel queasy and, 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 and that is, you know, they call it an attack for a reason because you're under attack emotionally, spiritually, you know, mentally, you're under attack, right? Uh, brace yourself for impact because, because this quandary 
doesn't come. Not, not only does it, does it not have a GPS, it doesn't have airbags, okay? So brace yourself for impact. Sometimes, sometimes our response to a, to a quandary, right, is, is we want to run away, you know? Uh, we we want to, we wish we could run away or we fantasize about running away. Have you ever read the book, uh, I'm Having a Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Really Bad Day, Think I'll Move to Australia? Ever see that book? I remember, I remember reading that a few times. You know, but here's the problem. The problem is that you can't run away because they have, they have quandaries in Australia too. So what do you do, you know? Uh, when, you, when you realize that, you're, that your SUV quandary only comes with one radio station and it's constantly playing one song, and guess what that song is? So you had a bad day, right? Taking one down, right? Uh, listen, you, you think you had a bad day? Uh, I was reading about this uh, Chinese businessman. Uh, he was in a, a city outside of his own for about three months, not that far away, but, 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 but he traveled to, to his, he actually worked for Mitsubishi. I say that fast three times. So, 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 so he's, he's in this foreign city to, to, you know, to himself, right? It's still in Japan, right? August 6, 1945, Hiroshima. And uh, he's on his way back home. He's, he's going to the train station, and there's, there's a flash of light. You know, it's, it's when the U.S. dropped the first nuke on Hiroshima. It was right there in the morning, right? And he, see, he sees the flash. He, he temporarily was blinded by the light. He had some minor burns, but he was able to survive the blast. Think you had a bad day? He, he stays that night in a shelter, and the next day, he flees to his home city, and he goes to, he goes to his home city, goes back home to Nagasaki, where on August 6th, three, August 9th, excuse me, three days later, the second nuke drops, and he survives. He sur- listen, he survives two nuclear blasts. I mean, could you imagine? You talk about having a bad day. That's have a bad week, you know? Uh, but, but amazingly, he, he survived. People caught in a quandary are, are, are tempted. One of the things they're tempted to do is to drop out. I mean, they want to they they drop out of school. They want to drop out of work. They want to drop out of relationships. That's when relationships crash. You hit a pothole, you know, and you just want to call it quits. And you want to drop out of life. But how many of you know dropping out of life is not a solution? That, what begins to happen, one of the other responses is that, is that you don't know what to do and therefore you do nothing. That inactivity in the midst of, of, of not knowing what to do because of the perplexing, confusing situation, you find yourself being paralyzed by uncertainty. And uncertainty is not a, is not a, is not a strategy. Because no matter, no matter what you decide to do, even if, see, I, I understand what, it, what, it, what it's like to make the wrong decisions or, or to suffer the consequences of a wrong decision. I've made wrong choices in my life. I've made regrettable choices in my life. So I know, but I also know that not doing anything because you don't know what to do is not the solution either. I remember when I was a kid being fascinated by one of the TV shows, one of my favorite shows at the time was The Lone Ranger. I'm not talking about Johnny Depp, right? I'm talking about the, the TV show Black and White, Lone Ranger, you know, Hio Silver, Tonto, you know. I remember this one episode. In fact, I, I could not get it out of my, 
my psyche, but, but the Lone Ranger, right, the hero of the show, right, is he walks into uh, quicksand. And before he realizes it, he is up to his waist in quicksand. Now, now, the way that quicksand works, and it's kind of freaky, but the way that it works is that the more you struggle to get out, the deeper you go, the faster you go. And, you know, th- that's what it's like to be in certain difficult situations or, or dilemmas or quandaries, right? The more you try to get out, the more you struggle to get out, the deeper you get in and the faster you, you, you're, you're in a problem, right? And so, and so here in this particular episode, right, what, what, you, what you want is to stay calm. Don't panic, you know? Let your movements be controlled, right? And then you, you hope for something to grab onto or someone to grab onto. And, 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 and that's, when, that's when Tonto, you know, comes along, his faithful companion, and rescued him out of the quicksand. I got to tell you something. Uh, the next time you find yourself in a quandary, do not go to Apple, Apple Store. They don't have an app for that. Just want to let you know. There's not a solution on Apple's, you know, apps, and they got, you know, millions of apps now, but, but th- there's no solution to get out of a quandary like that. And, and by the way, if you find yourself in quicksand like this, do not, do not Google your way out of it or try to Google your way out of it. And, you know, I understand we, 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 are, we are the, you know, information age. I understand that we think that there is an answer on Google for everything, Right? You know, I mean, after all, there are 22 billion web pages, 22 billion web pages. There are 644 million active websites, lots of information. Here's, here, here, here's a clue for you. There's a world of difference between information and wisdom. And what you need, what I need when I find myself in a quandary, when I find myself in that difficult situation where I don't know what to do, I need a wisdom that is outside of myself. I, I, I need a, a fail-proof wisdom. And there's only one place to go for a fail-proof wisdom. There's only one place to go for a wisdom that is from outside of ourselves, and that is to one who is more than a faithful companion. Here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that one of the most practical and one of the most gracious gifts given to those for the asking is this thing called wisdom that God gives liberally, that he, that he loves to give his wisdom to his children. Let me tell you why wisdom is so important, all right? Really smart guy by the name of Solomon, right? God gives him a blank check. Pierce to him. Says, Solomon, whatever you want, just ask me for it. Whatever, whatever, if you want riches, if you want power, whatever it is that you want, just, just ask me. And so, and so Solomon probably instinctively because of the wisdom of his father, David, Solomon asks for wisdom. And Zappo, you know, he gets, he, gets, he gets incredible wisdom. One of the wisest men up until Jesus, who ever lived on planet Earth, Right? And, and, and this, is what, this is what Solomon observes about getting wisdom. He says, with all of, your, all of your understanding, get wisdom. Because wisdom is the chief thing, he says. He says, and, and this is what I've observed. I've observed that wisdom is better than strength, and wisdom is better than 
weapons of war. Now, let me, tell you, let me tell you why he said that. Because in Ecclesiastes 9, this is what he wrote. He said, this is my observation. I, I observed that there was a small city with a few people in it. But a powerful king came and surrounded that city and built great weapons against that city. But in that city, there was a poor wise man who, by his wisdom, saved the city. That's why Solomon said, wisdom is better than strength. And wisdom is better than weapons of war because, because, listen, Wisdom actually is, in reality, is a weapon that we can wield, that we can use when we find ourselves in a dilemma and when we have an enemy that seeks our destruction. There is a wisdom that can save the day, that can bring us out of a quandary. And what really matters, what what, what it really comes down to is, will we have enough faith to trust in this one whom we call our faithful friend, our faithful companion, that, that wisdom will be ours for the asking, that he will supply all of our need by his riches and glory in Christ. And I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus, the wisdom of God. The Bible says that in Jesus are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is literally wisdom personified. It doesn't say that he has wisdom. It says that he is the very wisdom of God. Remember, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus as wonderful counselor. And the reason why his counsel is wonderful is because his counsel is perfect. We're going to look at a couple of verses of Scripture this morning. First in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is talking about the the wisdom of the cross. And and it's the superior wisdom over and above this world. And and, and he he almost has this like facetious kind of an argument. And and, and what he's doing is he's saying basically this. Guys, listen. He says, if God were foolish, then the foolishness of God would be would be wiser than the than the wisdom of men. If if God were weak, we who are limited and finite, if God were weak, and he's not, but if he were was weak, then the weakness of God would be stronger than the strength and the might of the combined nations of the earth. The nations of the earth are like a drop in the bucket. To God, They're like dust on the balances or in the scale that God can just simply blow off nations. And so he's talking about the cross that resulted in our salvation, the forgiveness of sins and the demise or the destruction of the powers of darkness. And so he says here in verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, where is the wise Man, where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? What Paul is doing, he's calling out. You know, he's, he's challenging the, the, the wisdom of his generation and the wisdom of the ages. Where is the, where is the, the, the great philosophy of men? Where is this great knowledge that men boast in? Paul is calling them out. In, in, in reality, Man has been deceived. The wisdom that he has is really foolishness. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Does anybody really need proof 
that, that man's wisdom is really nothing but foolishness. I mean, just look at the way nations treat nations. Look at the way men treat men. Look at the way, look at the way we treat our children. 45 million babies aborted in our nation in the last 30 years. Is that the wisdom of the world? Verse 21, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He's talking about the cross as the penal means of substitution to remove our sin from us. That's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God that is revealed in the cross. It's foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who believe, it's the very power of God. And you know what Paul is saying here? Guys, get this, that the biggest scam that's ever taken place on planet earth in the hearts of of human beings is to think that man is wise. Remember when, when, when Eve and Adam they looked at the tree. They, they said it was desirable to make one, one wise. It was good for food. They, this is what they perceived physically. They looked and they were deceived by that. I, I happen to believe that, that Eve kind of felt there was a connection between the serpent's ability to speak, having the ability of speech that, well, maybe he ate the fruit and, and therefore maybe as a result of that, he was filled with a wisdom beyond himself and, and, and how clever he was, you know? But it was the greatest deception of all times because instead of light coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we were filled not with light but with darkness and our, and our wisdom became perverse and it became distorted. And that's, that's, that, that's what brings us to where we are now. That's what Paul's talking about here. In verse 22, he says, Jews demand miraculous signs or miracles. They, 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 want, they want proof, supernatural proof about, about the things of God. The Greeks look for foolishness. But think about it. Could, could the Son of God provide more proof than the miracles and the signs and the wonders which he did, fulfilling Isaiah 35, healing leprosy, healing the blind eyes, doing all the things that Jesus did, turning water into wine, walking on water, multiplying loaves and fish, feeding thousands of people. Could Jesus do more than that? No wonder Jesus said, even though one should rise from the dead, still there will be those who won't believe. See, because here's the thing is that faith is not produced by miracles. Miracles do not produce faith. Where, because if, if they did, all of Israel would have been saved. But here's the thing. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, I gotta tell you something. The only reason why you are is because you, you are the recipient of a miracle. A miracle of grace has come to you and has opened up your heart and opened up your eyes to see the truth. See, you are, you are literally a walking miracle. The Greeks seek for, for, for wisdom. That is, they, they're impressed with philosophy. They, they, they want their intellectual brain matter exercised. They, 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 they want to be intrigued by, 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 some, by something that is intellectually pleasing to them. And so Greeks seek for wisdom. But, he says, verse 23, 
but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. Stumbling block. The word stumbling block there is a scandal. The very idea, and I've said this before, of Messiah crucified, Christ crucified, Messiah crucified is an oxymoron. It is, it is an insult to the, the Middle Eastern mindset. It, it is it is a scandal. It is an offense. It, it is what caused them to stumble. You know, th- th- think about the, the Middle Eastern mind today. Think about, think about how Muslims get so crazy and they go berserk because if they think that their prophet is being insulted, they, they go nuts. Back in Paul's day, there were more than 40 men who took an oath, who swore they would not eat or they would not drink until they were successful in their plot to assassinate the Apostle Paul. That's how crazy they got because they were insulted by the idea of Jesus Christ, of Messiah being crucified. It was an offense, a stumbling block. The Romans and the Greeks in in their culture, it was, it was the most, it was absurd. It was ludicrous to think that a savior could be executed on the most gruesome and the most cruel method of execution known to man. No, only the scum of the earth were crucified. No Roman citizen would be so degraded as to be crucified on such an execution. Yeah, we'll cut your head off, but no, no, no. Crucifixion, no. Verse 24 says, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I don't have the time this morning to supply uh, the the proof or or just to, to go there, but I would just suggest that you read Psalm chapter, uh, I'm sorry, not Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter eight this morning or sometime later today, and see that that wisdom is personified. Wisdom that brought the universe into existence is not just merely a thought. It's not just merely an idea or a concept that wisdom is actually a person, and that person we know is Christ, the wisdom of God. And here's the great news is that because of our relationship to Christ, that matchless wisdom can be made available to you and to me for the asking, simply for the asking. He gives wisdom graciously. Remember what Solomon said? Solomon said that that wisdom is better than weapons of war. And Jesus literally used the weapon of wisdom to, to defend, to dismiss, and to dispatch his enemies. How many times did they try to come up with some kind of conspiracy so that they would have cause to accuse him, right? Whether it was the coin or, or, or whether it was the Sadducees. You remember the, the, the one occasion when, when they, they bring a woman and they accuse her of adultery and, and they, this is what they're saying, we've got him now. We've got him stuck between a rock and a hard place because there's no way that he can successfully get out of this because no matter what he says, we got him. So they get this woman and they say, the Lord of Moses says she should be stoned, but what do you say? Because if he says, if he says, oh no, don't stone her, then what we will say is, 
Did not he say, did not he preach that he has not come to destroy the Lord and the prophets, but to fulfill that he's not honoring the Lord of Moses and the prophets? And so we've got something to accuse him. But on the other hand, if he says, if he says, go ahead and stone her, can we not also get him in his own words and catch him? Because did he not say that he had come to call the, the, the sick, not the righteous unto repentance, but sinners? Didn't he say he didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved? So we got him either way. And Jesus stooped down and he began to write with his finger on the ground. And we don't know what he was writing. The scripture doesn't tell us. But we do have a picture. We have an Old Testament picture of how God gave to Moses the, the Ten Commandments. He began to write them, the Bible says, with the finger of God. And here Jesus in that picture is writing down. We don't know what he's writing, but, but it's a picture for us. Here is God come in the flesh, being tested by the law that he himself has prescribed. And so, and so he says, all right, guys, this is how it's going to work, okay? He says, the one without sin, first guy, let him cast a stone. Guy without sin, you be the first one. Everybody else, you just follow right along, right? Let, 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 the, let the guy without sin be the first one. And there's no, no one comes forth. And, and from the oldest to the youngest, you know the story, they drop their stones and they walk away. And Jesus said, Where, where's your accuser? And everybody's gone. And she says, there are, there are none law. In the law, it, would, it required that there would be two eyewitnesses in order for there to be a trial and an execution. And there were no eyewitnesses against the woman. And Jesus says to her, he says, now let grace transform your life. Go, sin no more. Because you know what? The law can never transform our lives. It's only grace that can change us. Only when we've been shown unmerited, undeserved favor can we, can we get up and walk away without the power of sin following us anymore because the power of sin is the law. Because I would not know law or not, not know sin had the law said, thou shalt not. And so Jesus, he, he, he saves that woman from, from driving that quandary right off the cliff. Now, one other verse of scripture I wanted to look at this morning, and that's the letter of James. And James is writing to a people that were in the midst of uncertainty, that first generation, that, that first century believers, they, they found themselves in a quandary. And what James is saying is, is, look, guys, we count those blessed who endure. And what James wants them to know is, guys, we all need to have a paradigm shift, a, a an attitude adjustment when it comes to the quandaries in our life. When we come to trouble, what we need to do is we need to shift it all around in the way that we normally think, that we can't think of it the same way. Now, I tell you what, when, 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 when the people first read what James writes in the first few verses, they must have thought to themselves, wait, 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 time out. There's got to be a typo here, right? There's got to be mistranslation, right? Because James can't be meaning what he's saying. And this is what, this is what, this is so good. This is what James is saying. He says this in verse two, he says, listen, when troubles come your way, 
Consider it an opportunity for great joy. One translation says, when you enter into various trials, count it all joy. Think of it as an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Brendan, you, I almost fell out of my chair this morning. Where's Brendan? I almost fell out of my chair this morning when you, when you, when you prayed that, that verse almost verbatim this morning before service. This is what James is saying, is that there's an opportunity in the trial, in the adversity, in the quandary, that there's an opportunity for us to grow. See, God's after maturity. God wants us to grow into the image of his son, and you don't grow in a vacuum. You only grow in the crucible. You see, the vehicle that takes you there is that SUV called a quandary. That's the, that's the means by which God gets you to that place of growing and discovering more of the Christ-likeness. And so he talks about joy. He says, count it all joy. Consider it great joy. Let me tell you, the joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is what to us? It's our strength. And that joy is independent of our circumstances. It comes as a gift from Jesus. It's not dependent upon the world. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. It comes from outside, inside us. Here's a, here's a, a great paragraph that uh, was written by John MacArthur. Let me, let me share that with you. He says, spiritual joy is the settled conviction that God's sovereignty controls the events of life for the believer's good and his God's glory. Spiritual joy is not an attitude dependent on chance or circumstance. It is the deep abiding confidence that regardless of one's circumstances in life, all is well between the believer and the Lord. You can know a joy that no matter what your circumstances are, it can, it can translate into all is well. No matter what difficulty, pain, disappointment, failure, rejection, or other challenge one is facing, genuine joy remains because of the eternal well-being established by God's grace and salvation. Nothing can take that away. Scripture makes it clear that the fullest, most lasting and satisfying joy is derived from a true relationship with God. It's the presence of God. It's not based on circumstance or chance, but on the gracious and permanent possession of every child of God. If you're a child of God, that is a permanent possession that belongs to you. It is the right of our inheritance. It is our legacy to be filled with the joy. Jesus said, I give you a joy the world can't take away. The question is, will you believe and will you trust that we have a faithful companion. Listen to what it says in verse four. So let endurance or patience grow for when, you, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, you'll come to that place of maturity when, you, when you've come through the, this test with a great joy in your heart. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God who will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. 
But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person who has a divided loyalty is unstable like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. Waves have no control of their own. They're being led by the currents. They're being led by the wind. Get control, he says here. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they're unstable in everything they do. What James is saying here is it's, it's a call to trust in the provision of God. It's a call to put your faith that God will supply the wisdom that you need when you're in that quandary, when you're in that difficult place. Wait on God. Now, I know, I know listen, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear wait on God. Listen, some of the, some of the wrong regrettable decisions I've made in my life. I've made because I didn't wait. I made because I didn't consult God. Or when I consulted God, I did it impatiently and didn't want to wait for the answer, really presumed that I knew what God wanted me to do. And it's usually a mistake. Now, I got to tell you something. When I first started working on this message, I'm thinking only in terms of this, this superior wisdom that helps us, that enables us when we find ourselves in a quandary. But the more I began to think about the wisdom of God, the, the more I began to realize that God wants his kids to operate in this divine wisdom, this superior wisdom all the time, not just when we're in trouble, not just when we find ourselves in a quandary, that, that really this is the legacy that belongs to us as the children of God. Because let me tell you something. We, we may be mere men and women, but, but we're not mere men and women. We, we, are, we are kings and priests in training. We're, we're God's princes and, and princesses who are being trained for an eternal kingdom. One of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives is called the word of wisdom. That is a supernatural wisdom that comes from the outside of us to tell us, to show us what the wise thing to do in a difficult situation. But it's more than that. It's the spirit of God himself who is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation whose mission is to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Because there are times, there are times in our life when, when we need, listen, when we need a faithful companion because we don't know how to pray as we should. So the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God. See, see what we have resident within us in the, in the spirit of Christ, who is the wisdom of God, we have the spirit of God who has come to live alongside of us, to undergird us. You know what the word undergird means? It means that he, that, that, that he comes from our side and he puts his arm underneath our shoulder and underneath our armpit and he supports us and he helps us and he carries us through life and through this journey. John Piper said this, and and this is so important too, because the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God and the word of God itself. And if you will apply yourself to the word of God, the word of God is filled with wisdom. I mean, read the book of Proverbs. The word of God is filled with wisdom to give us, to make us wise, to make us wise. And this is what John Piper wrote about 
the word of God he says, and the spirit of God. He says, the spirit inspired the word and therefore he goes where the word goes. The more of God's word you know and love, the more of God's spirit you will experience. And I know that to be experientially true. I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for a love that God's dropped in my heart years ago for the word of God. And, and here's the point. Here's what God wants for you as his child, for you to be as wise as serpents, but to be as innocent and harmless as doves. This is your takeaway this morning. This is what I, this is what I want you to know because Solomon, Solomon only had half of the story. Here's, it is absolutely true that wisdom is better than strength and wisdom, wisdom is better than weapons of war. When that wisdom is superior, when that wisdom is a divine gift that comes, comes from the one who is faithful to us, who is a faithful friend. Now, let, me, let me tell you a word, kemosabi. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. Kemosabi, those of you who are old enough to remember the Lone Ranger, know that kemosabi means trusted friend. That's what, that's what Tonto said to the Lone Ranger. That's what the Lone Ranger said back to Tonto. Trusted friend. We have, we have a friend who can be trusted, whose wisdom is impeccable, whose wisdom is perfect. Next time you find yourself behind the wheel of a quandary, don't panic. Stay calm. Let your movements be, as you assess your situation, let them be controlled. Don't pull the covers over your head because you ain't gonna solve your problem by dropping out and by running away. And don't book a flight to Australia because they got quandaries in Australia. Remember that wisdom is better than strength and wisdom is better than weapons of war. And although you may be surrounded by a powerful enemy, remember that a poor old man, but wise, delivered the city by his wisdom. If you belong to Christ, then what is available to you for the asking is a wisdom that God will not, he will not scold you when you ask of him. Listen, if God did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. Bible says, how shall he not with him also supply us with the wisdom that we need? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that the answer isn't found in the heart of men, but the answer is found in the heart of God that you have provided for us a gift and a grace called Jesus, the wisdom of God. I pray this morning, Father God, that if there's anyone here that finds themselves in that difficult dilemma, in that place of a quandary, that they will look to you even now and ask God for wisdom and direction that you would fill them this morning, Lord God, because they belong to you, because you want your children to operate in a divine superior wisdom. 
And for each of us, Lord God, to be encouraged to to love the word of God, to, to, to invest in the spirit, because when we do, we will of the spirit reap life and peace. So I pray this morning, Father, that you, by your word, have encouraged the hearts, oh God, that we are, we are not afraid, oh God, when we're surrounded by enemies, because there is a wisdom that can rescue and save the city. In Jesus' name.